Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Well, it is Friday, and that means we do a little something on the show here that we like to call the brightest conversation in Hamilton radio. And that means bringing in someone who can uh, converse brightly. And there is nobody who is bright in the intellectual and personality department. He is like a bluebird of happiness most of the time. Uh, his name is Jeff Mahoney, longtime writer with the Hamilton Spectator, though heading into retirement shortly. We'll get into that later in the show, but thanks for coming in. Thank you, Scott. Uh, it's going to be hard to live up to that billing. Well, I you, feel like I'm subbing for the, the bright person you were going to have in. I, well, you know, we'll see what I can do. We'll, we'll see what you can do. Have you ever, you're a news guy, you've been in news for a I, long time. Can you think back yeah. to a time when you were like following a story so compulsively like this, just to, I mean, there's, there's been a bunch over the years. Like I, we all, could you imagine what, what we would have been like if social media had existed when the OJ thing oh, was going so on? Oh, that's so true. Well, it almost was a precursor. I mean, everybody was watching that, that nobody did one anything comes that day. to mind and, uh, well, 9-11 was quite different, that's another but, one. but we were glued to, like I, I would stay up till three, three thirty in the morning watching it and only go to bed because I was falling asleep. Uh, on my feet, but um, yeah, this is this is a great one. I, I have to be honest; I wasn't aware of it until you told me. But I do know who he is. Amazing. I'm not a big yeah, yeah. baseball follower, but uh, but baseball it, is the one with the gloves, right? The, some uh, some of them. The yeah, there's yeah. also hockey with gloves. But yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's true. Yeah. It, it's amazing how social media has changed, though. I mean, again, you're right. Nine eleven. We we all just sat in front of our TVs, glued for ever, yeah, it seemed. Communicating with each other as best we could without all these modern contemporary tools that we have. And, and there was the internet, but it's amazing it was, to think oh, that that's only 23, 22 years ago yeah. and how different the world is with the social media apparatus that we now have. Well, totally yeah, different. and remember the internet when it started, it took half a day to load up. <laughs> I can't yeah. even make the noise. That that circle you, kept going around and yeah. around. That, that that when you did the uh, the sign in with your phone that you had to you know dial in to get your internet connected, but <laughs> it's almost too instantaneous now. It's like yeah, yeah. Kids kids who are I mean, how old would you be if you were under twenty now? The idea of dialing your phone to connect your internet. Yeah, it's just it, it sounds like we were like doing that right after we clubbed a brontosaurus to eat. <laughs> But like the <laughs> idea of walking to a television set to change the yeah, channel. There you go. I mean. yeah, there's the sound right there. You can hear it on the... If you're new, if you're young, that's what you used to hear when you would hook up to the internet. And You um, know, our forefathers and foremothers would exaggerate saying I walked five miles to school every morning. Well, I used to walk eight feet to the TV every yes, evening. and That's uh, true. It's not the same. And then hook it up. But no, it's... Uh, I just can't... As I look back, like today is a, is a is a simple and you know relatively in the grand scheme of things unimportant. I mean, it's important to people, but yeah. unimportant in the grand scheme of things story. But again, the idea of how social media has changed because it was all social media reports that got this thing the plane yeah. and, and I, again nine uh, eleven if if Twitter or X had existed or Instagram had existed, our world would be enti- would, it would have been entirely different. I'm sorry to. Uh, interrupt you, Scott, but I've got an update here talking about modern media. <laughs> he's he's in Toronto. He's at Pearson. He decided to go uh, with Air Canada 
And now Flight he's commercial. That's right. He's waiting for his baggage. He <laughs> could be there for days. That's right. He's got to get through customs, he and his ba- his bag just landed in Guam. <laughs> so we're not. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh-huh. it, it, I don't know. It, as I say, it's it's just a totally different. My first, the the first for me, the first news story that I remember being. Yeah, tell me about your own experience. Yeah. Well, no, but being entirely engaged and I don't even know why it was. I was watching a movie with a buddy's house in Toronto. The Russians are coming. The Russians oh, are coming. I remember, remember that? that well. And they broke in with the news that Ronald Reagan had been shot. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I remember sitting there just engrossed with this story that was going on. I don't even know why I was. It was the, the anchor people and everything else, even though I didn't necessarily at that time, wasn't that much into politics or whatever. It was, it was just such an interesting crazy, wild story. I think human beings as animals still give off something that we can't quite explain because I remember I when you ask me that and on reflection now, when I have a bit of time and you mentioned Ronald Reagan, of course, John F. Kennedy was par- probably uh, almost a prototype of everybody getting involved, everybody trying to tap everyone else for information. What do you know? Where were you? And I was all of eight years old and you just pick up this vibration from adult people that this is important and you internalize it. It's probably the same with you. You weren't even born yet, I'm sure. But there's there's also, there's, like today, today's a big anniversary for this kind of thing. Of course, today, December 8, 1980 oh, was the Pearl day Harbor. that, well, po- John, no, John Lennon. Oh, John, John Lennon. John <laughs> Lennon, yeah, well, Harbor. Yeah, they're, they're pretty close, Poil Harbor. Uh, but, but, you know, and, and that was broken by Howard Cosell on Monday I Night remember Football. that. Oh, yeah. And you, yeah. it just, there's something I think even, and we lose this in social media, but even just in the sound of someone's voice, yeah. the way it's delivered, yeah. you realize, oh man, this is yeah. something. Yeah. This is something. And uh, anyway, well, so. Well, I was in a car with my daughter do I have time yeah yeah and we were driving to Montreal and uh, just having a lovely lovely time uh, me my two daughters you know long trip to Montreal and her boyfriend um, texts her and breaks the news of the the, the infamous day with Hamas and, mm, and there's another one so and um but you never hear it from the mainstream media anymore. It's always somebody on a well, you Well, originally you, you originally now get it, it on social somebody, media you, and yeah. then go to TV yeah, or radio. Exactly. Or a Pearl Harbor Day, you missed it by one. But you were you yeah, were there. I, I yes, knew it was a, yesterday. <laughs> you, you weren't was, way off. That wasn't in like June or something. No, like, no, no, no. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jeff, we learned this week that Ontario is looking at an enhanced driving test for those over 80 now <laughs> to get their licenses there. again. Mm. Well, what do you think about this? Because right now, until I, uh, my understanding is until you're 80, you just can get your license. But then after that, it's like you have to, they'll tell you to put the hands on a clock for a certain time. And that's, <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's simply because they want to make sure you're not suffering from dementia or something, which, okay, that's. That's fine to do that to make, like, that's true. We don't want people who, for whatever reason, unfortunately are there, but be driving. But boy, it seems that that's a low bar to oh, that is. be that's... able to be behind the wheel of a 5,000 pound bullet. <laughs> that's so arbitrary. And if you did it, you were talking about actuaries before and actuarially, who are the greater dangers on the road? Uh, young people, young sometimes. males, yeah, sometimes. old people. I mean, and I know it's, uh, I, I'm 
glad they're addressing it, but um, it seems this cutoff date. I mean, there are people in their seventies. You know, it. it um, I suppose if they want to do that, they should really be testing everybody like periodically every. And how long does that last? Once they test them in their eighties, is it every year? It's every two years. Every two and, years. And I, I don't disagree with your, because I know some people listen here and say, well, wait, that's ageist. And it's like, well, hold on a second. I, I don't want to get it. I don't think it's a, the place to get into an ist argument when you're no, talking about people driving a car. That's, it's public safety. It so is you public can safety. make all you want about yeah. how, well, you know, that's offensive. I don't care if it's offensive. We want people. There's no question that people's abilities in various ways are impaired or, or, or deteriorate as they age. That's what aging is. And uh, driving is <laughs> one of the most critical skills. But I'm with you that I would have no problem with something that said, if you got, I don't know, four demerit points, Yeah. whatever. If you've got that many points on your license, they haven't yeah. expired. Every two years, you have to come in for a driver's test and pass your license again. I would have no problem that with that. That makes more sense to me because I, I don't know if there should be a test most people in their 80s or a lot of people in their 80s can walk in very clearly established that their eyesight is adequate, maybe with their glasses, and that they're completely coherent yep. and they're completely capable of driving. Why do they have to be – why do they have to go through the indignity of a test just because they Is it an indignity? Well, I shouldn't say indignity. Maybe that's not the right word, but um, – It's a hassle. It's a hassle. It's a hassle for sure. For sure. And yeah. I and and I'm not even look. I'm not even proposing because you know what would happen is as soon as the government gets involved in this, hey, it's going to be three hundred dollars to take your. They're going to make some I, money I, off. I don't even. Yeah. Th- that shouldn't even be a thing. No. Like okay, it should be very reasonably priced. It's twenty dollars yeah. to take yeah. your test. We just have to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I mean, I do think that older people, frankly, should take a test every couple of years just to make sure their coordination and reactions yeah. and everything else. But again. Yeah. If you're a driver who has shown, no matter what age you are, that yeah. you are not a great driver, mm-hmm. you also should be in there taking a test to prove that you have learned something and you can drive a car properly. Yeah. It's not just an old person thing. Well, I think maybe the same standard should be applied to surgeons and anybody who is dealing with with equipment or with procedures that could potentially uh, end a life. Yeah. Well, a, a car can. Yeah. A car can for sure. And I mean, there, I think we in our, now these are legislative things. I think we are way too light on certain things. I think, you know, people who drive drunk can get their licenses back. Yeah, it's very true. To me, do you need a second? You know, and, and, and I'll even, and this may not be a, I may regret this one, but, (laughs) but I mean, if you fail a roadside test or if you're out in a ride check and it turns out that your blood alcohol is just slightly over, you're still legally drunk. You're still legally breaking the law. I still don't want you on the road, but I would say you made a bad decision, but okay, I could see you getting your license back in time. But you yeah. show up and you're three times over the limit. There's no, there can't possibly be a question in your mind that you were too drunk to drive. No. I don't know why we would ever give that person their license back, but we do. Probably sometimes. lawyers. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good analogy. And um, there's drinking and, um, and th- there are other areas aside from driving that um, really people should be tested for. I mean... Gun ownership, I think, in Canada. 
I, I, I would don't have no problem with that. Stringent the laws are. I don't either. I've never America, held. America, you can walk in and. Have you ever shot a gun? Some states, legally, I've I mean, you never shot never, a gun. I'm not even sure I've ever held a gun. I'd be curious to see what it feels like, but I, I'm not ever going to be a gun owner. Ken writes in. Uh, um, Ken saying that every driver should be retested periodically. Again, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with that to a degree. If there's a reason wow. to test you, I'm yes, I, I would be all for it. Not just older people, but you had mentioned Jeff that you know what? Why is it just driving? There should be other things, whether it's a surgeon or, and all these things. I look at and I think I don't know that we necessarily want to test everybody all the time. But if there's any reason to, if you're a surgeon who's had a bad thing happened, so you have to show that you're still capable, or if you're a nurse, or if you're, a, I mean, pick whatever, whatever. I think teachers, quite honestly, should be retested if there is reason because their grades in their classes are really low to find a, whatever. I think you hit on the thought that I was trying to form in my head around this because I had a feeling about what's right and the, the ran, not or not random, but the sort of universal testing at 80 doesn't seem right. But Yes, test if somebody's given reason, cause for concern. But you mentioned then guns, and it's funny because I, you said you've never shot a gun. I don't think I've ever held a gun, but I've definitely never shot one. But I'd be curious. I'd love to. Have you ever been? Know, yeah, so have you ever? Try, have you ever? I've done anything. Have you ever wanted to? Have you ever reached out to try and find a place to try? No, a gun? I never. I don't think I'd ever go to the trouble of it. But if somebody said, "Oh, here, try this," and I take a shot, I'd. <laughs> Probably destroy uh, something. <laughs> well, I don't know if this is true, and and I, I'm pretty sure that I've got some of these details wrong. But somebody out there could probably help me out who will remember this. I am told. I was told once upon a time that in the basement of Westdale High School across yes, the street, yes, I've heard this story too. That there is a shooting range. There are holes in the wall. But that, that it was used way back in the day, that that was part of your like During the war. Phys ed or oh, you trained. I thought. And it's now used as storage or something. Okay. And I, I may be wrong on that. Someone listening may remember or may know that Westdale actually had shooting as a part of the curriculum. I've done stories over the years, over the decades on schools, uh, celebrating anniversaries or closing and, you know, talking to people, remembering the old days of the schools. And I think several of them were used for training for soldiers during now, World War II and, ri and rifle range kind of Maybe that's what training. it was. Maybe it wasn't a student thing. Maybe it was just because they had space in the basement. I don't know. Yeah. And now it's certainly not. Facts. you imagine if you went to school? What did you do at school today? <laughs> well, we had shooting practice. We were on a cruise a hundred years ago. The very first time I ever went on a ship and it was our, I mean, our family went when I was in like grade 11. And it yeah. was like way before the cruising industry was anything. Yeah. And they had... Uh, you could shoot pigeons, like, you know, the, the clay things off the deck of the ship, clay pigeons off the deck, skeet shooting off the <laughs> deck of the ship. And I'm thinking, could you imagine that they handed visitors, guests, li uh, rifles with live ammunition on the deck of a ship? That's not Nothing my idea of a relaxing cruise, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Nothing yeah. could possibly go wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> spin around accidentally and blow away somebody. I mean, it's sadly, these days the only shootings at the schools are uh, well, yeah, the uh, tragic it, ones. It is, it is, and and, and but I, I mean, I've I've shot a gun once. I have no desire to do well, it. What did it feel like? Well, and here's the thing: I I don't have any objection to people owning guns. I don't. I mm -hmm. mostly because as long as you're responsible with it. I don't have an issue with you holding, especially if you live way out in the country or something. But mm -hmm. 
Um, I say I was at a poli- at the police college, oh, uh, yeah. OPP police college, and they had a media day thing to mm-hmm. try to do. And honestly, because I didn't grow up with it, it was like it was intimidating. It really was, just because it's not what I have grown up doing. And and no. it's it is. It sounds stupid to say this. It is really loud and really a much bigger recoil and everything. Powerful, recoil. yeah. Recoil. Can I make a confession here? Yeah. A somewhat sad one. I've never even held a caulking gun. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's my little, yeah. my little humor for the day. Scott. No, I, 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 well, I'll tell you uh, one of the- But I'd be curious and, uh, oh, guns, guns, guns. It's such a, um, yeah. And- uh, so it kicked you back, right? Oh like yeah, you no, felt it was. Force. It, it, it was. Uh, say it was intimidating, and and my grandfather, uh, years and years ago, had a had a gun. He was a jeweler up in the Ottawa Valley, and used to have to come down to Southern Ontario or somewhere else to get diamonds or gold or whatever for his business, I guess. And so this is this would have been back in the forties and thirties yeah. and fifties, and he, so he carried a gun. I guess that was you know you don't want to get kidnapped or hijacked or I don't know what. And, and we found long years after he died, we found his gun under his desk. No one even knew it was there. Um, but just took it in and got rid of it. But no, I, I, it's, I, I would be, there's a lot of things as I think of it that not as a rule, not as a, we're talking about testing and retesting, not just because, because I think governments already get too involved in too many things. And this is just another layer of bureaucracy to say, oh, you know, every year, everybody's got a test for everything they do. I think that's, well, you, you should, I believe we should be trusted until there's reason not to trust us. If, if you've had an incident or if there's cause, or even if somebody phones in and, you know, a a loved one, it's just, I've been really concerned about um, they're driving, but I mean, you wouldn't phone the government to say that you would probably sit down with. <laughs> yeah, but they may know. not listen. Yeah. They might not listen. They may not listen. I, there should be, there, sh- I, I assume again, I assume there is some kind of hotline or something where yeah. you could call and say, look, Aunt Bethany is she's, she's losing it, but crossing I, the line and, uh, we can't get her running onto away. the curb. So when you held that gun, you didn't have a sudden urge to go out and sort of do a vigilante thing like Dirty I, I really Harry did. or Charles Bronson. I really didn't. And I really had you. no, I've no, I've had no desire to have one in the house. I've got, uh, I've, I've never had a, but again, I, this area, uh, frankly, unless you are a sports person yes. who shoots guns sporting for yeah. sporting reasons, or unless you're a criminal, yeah. I don't know that too many, or a cop, I don't know there's too many people around here that feel a need to have a gun. Oh, it's so different in the uh, United is there? States. Well, my sister moved to Florida in 1996, my late sister and uh, her kids, and her daughter, Sarah, uh, was becoming engaged to uh, an American, a Floridian, and as a kind of an engagement gift, uh, because she was moving into her own apartment, he gave her a gun as a housewarming gift. And, but this that's is very true. Cu- I know, but it's very cultural there. Yeah. And I don't know if she needed a license for it or if, anyway, she had a gun and I think she turned it in or something like that because the Mahoney's are not big gun people. No, but it's, well, it, it, it's not, it's just not a cultural thing here. And again, no, it's I, not, yeah. I don't, th- now not everyone walks around saying to me, Hey Scott, by the way, nice to meet you. I own a gun. I mean, that's not yeah. usually, but yeah. I, I, I don't know that I know anybody who yeah. has a gun in their house. He also gave her a nice wall hanging. It said, 
put down the TV sucker or I'm going to fill you full of lead. <laughs> you know, it's very warm and cozy. It's, it's a different culture. But it is. It's a total different culture. And, I mean, you hear people um, talk about uh, people that they're circulating with and mingling with in the United States and knowing that many of them are packing. And again, I, I guess it depends on the state you're in. Yeah, but, and culturally uh-huh. and where there's crime and everything else. I don't know. But, uh, and again, I mean, going back to the driving thing for a minute, because that's yes. where we started on this. I, I'm, I have no objection. If, if, a, if, a, if a government came in or uh, suddenly introduced something that said, you need to take a driver's test to show you can do this every two years and it's going to cost you $300. And I look and I go... I have no tickets, I have no accidents, yeah. I have no demerit points, I've done nothing to show that I deserve to not be trusted. I would be really upset by this. But if they put in a rule that said, when you reach a certain number of demerit points, or if you have an accident that was caused by you, or if you're charged with careless driving, or I, I wouldn't have a problem with people being asked to come back or told they have to do a retest. I don't either, insofar as they're not going to be setting the bar at some ridiculous height where you have to know what every like road sign means. And yeah, you know, uh, do you do this in this situation? You and know, I don't we, even we, want that. I just want someone to be behind the wheel of a car with a driving instructor on a closed course somewhere yeah. showing they can control their yeah, vehicle. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. But you know, if they really wanted to stick people, stick it to yeah, them, they could. they could say, well, you know, you didn't, uh, you didn't put on this turn signal quickly enough, or you, you didn't wait until you cleared the intersection before turning on the turn signal for the next one. I don't know what, you know, frankly, you drive and you do what you need to do to drive safely and well, uh, but you you forget a lot of the, the, the picayune rules. That they oh, have. yeah. No, no. The, the, the days of learning the entire book when you had to get your learners back yeah. in the day, yeah. uh, th- those days are gone. I mean, I... I I, I like to think that I could probably pass a test like that, yeah, but I again, hope I could, but. Um, I don't know. Some of those things are really persnickety little things that you don't, how's that for a word? Persnickety. Um, <laughs> that you don't, yeah. uh, that we don't think about no. all the time. But no, I just, if someone has been busted because they were going 50 over the limit. Yeah. And you get four or five demerit points, whatever it is. I have no problem saying before you get your license back, you have to do a test to show that you are capable. And I also would say that I have no problem, as I said off the top, that if you do something so outrageous, then it's not a, it's not an accident. It's not a, an oopsie anymore. It's not driving 15 over because you got caught up in the flow of traffic and happened to be the one pulled over. If you're driving 60 through a school zone, 60 over through a school zone or something, there's no, you knew what you were doing. I would have no problem if the laws were much, much, much more severe as far as getting your license back. But I know what you're saying. I'm 68 now, and I don't want somebody coming to me and telling me I have to take another test just because just because just because I hit a stop sign and dragged it for six blocks, and <laughs> and and I did that. But there was a reason. I was distracted, and That's you know right. you nobody ex- was hurt. You can't expect me to drive straight when I have to type a message on my phone. Exactly. <laughs> no, I shouldn't I, joke about that. I I, guess, no, but. no, no. But it, but the re- you're right. If, just because you've hit a certain age. I don't, now, I do think, and we got to run, I do think there is a certain age when, again, the actuaries or whatever would say, okay, that is an age when it's reasonable to expect that we're going to ask people to do this. 111. Okay. Maybe that's the number. Many of you by now, this time of year, will have watched the movie Home Alone for the 
87th time at least. <laughs> uh, it's a Christmas classic, of course, with Kevin McAllister and the family goes away and you know all the rest of the uh, all the rest of the shenanigans. But anyway, the the story um, w- came. Uh, someone posted this on Twitter today. So uh, Jeff Mahoney in with me today. So you'll remember in that movie, I'm sure you've seen that movie a hundred times in the movie, Kevin McAllister, when all his parents are in Paris and he has to look out for himself, goes to the store and buys a half gallon of milk, a half gallon of orange juice, a TV dinner, some bread, some frozen macaroni and cheese, laundry detergent, cling wrap, toilet paper, and a pack of army men and some dryer sheets. And in the movie, which came out in 1990, that cost (laughs) $19.83 in the movie. I think it was a little nod to the future, 1983. Anyway, uh, that same amount to do that today. Now this is in American dollars. Mm. That same do- today is $72.28. Well, and the last few years with the inflation have just made that even more pronounced. But uh, It's just stunning. It's I'm surprised that this kid could buy such practical things. Well, you know. The mind to do it. It is a but movie. But he was a survivor. It is uh, a movie. I would have just bought ice cream. That is unbelievable at it only cost $90. Now, I mean, you buy um, three bags of milk and a loaf of bread. I don't know what, some cheese. And that's probably $19 right there. Uh, more. Yeah. More, I would bet. You can't, you can't. Maybe, uh, yeah. Unless you're buying processed, like slices of cheese, like to get real yeah. cheese. Like you can't. Well, I know. It, it's just, it's stunning when you look back at some of these things. And, and it's funny because so many, this is not the point, but so many movie directors try to not put their movie in a time. They, like it's totally yes. timeless. This so gives it, it away. That, yeah. yeah, but this gives it away <laughs> when you come. There's nobody watching this yeah. movie today who's yeah. watching this. And they're going $19, <sighs> under $20 for all that. Are you kidding? That's a hundred bucks. That's, yeah, that's ben, right. ben was just doing the math. He says it's almost a hundred Canadian for that based on that today. Yeah, yeah I can, it's just, I can it's, believe it, it. It's unbelievable what things are costing in the last... Well, look at baseball players, $500 million over 10 years. Shohei Otani. Yes, we are, we are still waiting. Oh, We're by the way, I should story. mention, we, we, we started by talking about how um, Shohei Otani and all the stuff that was going on watching him. So th- there are reports, and this is one of the funniest things ever, of there was a private jet that flew from Anaheim this to Toronto. Hilarious. This is true. And they were tracking it because everybody thought it was Shohei Otani, but they're... Apparently a CBC photographer <laughs> snapped the person getting off the plane thinking it was going to be Shohei Otani. It's actually Canadian businessman and Dragon's Den regular Robert Herjavec <laughs> <laughs> and his family. So the guy from Dragon's Den has now been signed to a $600 million right. contract by the Blue Jays. Imagine they I got guess. off the plane. They must have felt like it was Beatlemania. There no kidding. Crowds waiting for them at the airport. No kidding. But yeah, but still going back. So $75 though for what was 20. It's, it's over astounding. three and a half times. Three and a half times basically is what you're talking about. Well, look at something else. What would a house have cost back then? What, in 1990? Is that the year? Yeah. I mean, it'd be a fraction of what it is now. Yeah, well, it, yeah, the average house price in Hamilton was probably under 200000 oh, And I, I would say sure for sure it was. it was under two hundred. And now it's probably $900 million, no, 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 seven fifty. Yeah. I bet it would be. I it's bet the tripled. Average, I'm sure it's tripled. More the average than tripled. is probably seven fifty yeah. now in Hamilton. But no, it's just, it's, it, it's so, um, it's difficult because it's also, like you have kids. How old are your kids now? They're 26 and 23. So they probably, if you say, oh, once upon a time, house prices averaged 
yeah. in Hamilton. They're like, dad, again, going back to our thing about like, were you hunting brontosauruses when you're, <laughs> yeah, you know, how old are you? Uh, time that uh, doesn't even exist for them. I mean, yeah. And it seems though, this is not sudden. I mean, we've had inflation and things have gone up in price over the years. It just seems all of a sudden, everything just seems so much more. We, it was, no, it was, it, does, yeah. it was getting into a warm bath always mm-hmm. before. Like it was just, mm-hmm. it was warm. It was, you know, we know there was, it was going up, but now all of a sudden someone just poured 15 bottles of boiling water in and you feel like it's burning because that's yeah. what it is all of a sudden. I, well, and the tragic part of it, it's, it's comical in a way and, and those contrasts can be amusing to think about, but for young people, I mean, they can't afford to get in the housing market. It's, uh, can't afford anything. You can't afford that block of cheese you were just no, talking about if yeah, it's going to be that much. You see the results of it. I mean, I know there are many, many causes, but people who are on the streets, people at the food banks, the food banks are stretched thinner than they've ever been before. So, yeah, isn't it? But it's... It, it really puts it in perspective when you look at the, the, you know, the factorials or the multiples there, you know, literally things are 10 times more expensive or, you know, or salaries are 10 times more than they were. It really, not um, mine, but. Well, mm, yeah, <laughs> not, not any of ours. Uh, unfortunately it's maybe, maybe Robert Herjavec uh, yes. getting off that plane. Yes, lucky man. Uh, lucky man, Dave Hodge. Remember Dave Hodge, the sure former do. CBC Hockey yeah. Canada? He's tweeted out today, Shohei Otani's decision is imminent, possibly as early as sometime. <laughs> <laughs> That's well done. Well so, put. Yeah. yeah, so way to go, Dave. That's, uh, yes, that is uh, lots going on. We will uh, We will continue to keep you up to date if there is any kind of breaking story on this, breaking news on this. There is nothing right now except that uh, something may at some point happen, possibly Someday. If he ends up on the Blue Jays, Scott, you're a sports guy. What would this mean for the Well, team, let's save that city? thought for, let's save that okay. thought for tomorrow. We were talking about that yesterday, but we'll, we'll get into some numbers when we come back after the okay. break. We're going to take the news break and we come back after that. And, uh, it, I did a little, uh, well, as people tend to do, and I do it poorly, but looked into a little bit of very rudimentary math on this. It's, it's pretty stunning okay. what, what this guy's contract, if it lands wherever it is, he'll get this money yeah. wherever it is, what it's worth. It's, it's. It is pretty so remarkable. He'll be able to afford the cheese at the supermarket. He will be able to go with Kevin McAllister and buy the cheese. <laughs> Nobody else will. I do want to get into something else because we've been coming back to this all through the show about the Shohei Otani situation today. The baseball player who apparently was on a private jet to Toronto until he wasn't and um, uh, not. Anyway, uh, the story is, Jeff, that he is going to be signing a contract here or somewhere else. For at least $500 million over 10 years. So at least $50 million a year. And my rudimentary math, he, I looked it up. He has averaged about 500 at bats a year for the last couple of years. So that's a million per at bat. That's a hundred thousand dollars per at bat that he would be getting. Oh, excuse my bad No, no, no. It's okay. But still a hundred. So every time he walks from the dugout to home plate, even if he swings at the first pitch and pops up. $100,000. He will make more every at bat than most Hamiltonians will make in a year. In a lifetime. Well, Well, uh, oh, a hundred thousand. No. Oh yes. Yes. But give give him a week or two and it'll be a lifetime. And yet the amazing part about this is these people at Rogers, and Rogers is behind it, 
they, they're not idiots. They're not idiots. They have not made themselves into one of the biggest companies in the world by being complete doofuses. So there well, has to be a belief within, and we talked about this yesterday with Mike Wilner here on the show, that you can parlay this into breaking even or making money on this, which is stunning. I won't say they're not idiots, but <laughs> they will make money on it. I'm sure this, uh, yeah, they're not idiots when it comes to, you know, spending they're not what the seems popular. like a ridiculous amount of money, but they, if you make it back, then it's worth spending. But uh, that's incredible. It is amazing how much money though there is in sports and with the people that you can get. And if, Otani, is he, he's Irish then. That he's, uh, yes, he's oh. Irish. It's O apostrophe Tani. Yeah, yeah no, that's right. I, that's, uh, I hope that's not racist in any way. No, no, it'll be, he, um, <laughs> uh, no, he will, he would be an, an enormous star with the Japanese community and the Asian community, I would think all over Canada if he comes here, but who knows? We will, we will see. It's uh, right now it is entirely up in the air and, um, you know, my last name's Mahoney. That's yes. Irish. I have some Irish in me. I'm so Irish that even my blood type is O apostrophe. <laughs> I'm stealing that joke, but uh, it was apropos. Otani, he's Japanese, I believe. He is and Japanese. Did he play in the Japanese leagues oh, before yes, he yeah. came out? And he was so good that they- They brought him they, over. They and brought him yep. over. So you, you mentioned, you know, now the thing that some people, I think most people who have read Jeff over the years will know is he is a funny guy. And- um, But looks aren't everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were talking yesterday on the show, the, the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame is having its induction in Hamilton in February. And there is a, there are a bunch of Jim Carrey, oh, Eugene yes. Levy, Martin Short, Red Green, Steve Smith, uh, Billy Van, yeah. all Hamiltonians or people who their we, career was based here. We have a great tradition. We do, We're don't we? Comic tradition. Yes, we do. Why? Now, we were trying to figure <laughs> this out last night. We were talking about, why do you think it is that Hamilton has produced so many great comedians? Well, I think it's... Maybe related to the reason that Canadians have produced so many great comedians that the Americans have adopted um, over the decades. And you mentioned a few of them, and they happen to be from here. And uh, I think when you're an underdog, and Hamilton is relative to Toronto the way uh, Canada is to the United States, maybe it fosters a certain attitude, a certain appetite for satire and for putting things in per comic perspective. I, I don't know. Maybe, do you think, do you maybe think, it's the stuff that was coming out of the Stelco smokestack. Well, that's I what I was joking know. about yesterday, but do you, do you think that there is something, do you think that coming from someplace where you have to grind, where it's not easy necessarily, you, like, is there anything to that, that, that leads to be like, what's the, I was thinking of whether that makes you funny or leads to comedy. I mean, many comedians, and I'm not talking about these people, I'm saying when you talk about, it's not always the people who have had the easiest life that become oh. the best comedians. Many people who have been comedians have been terribly depressed. Robin Williams oh, and John Cleese has talked about, it. I mean, it, the people, two go hand in hand. but people who have had difficult lives or tough goes often become comedians. Yeah. And I'm wondering if Hamilton, especially at the time when they were coming up, that it was a, you know, very blue collar. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything to that or not. Well, there's situations that are dark that you can only deal with by laughing or by taking some kind of humorous, uh, humorous attack to it. Uh, and if, if you don't, the only al other alternative is, the only alternative is to, is to be dejected or to, to give up hope. I, I'm, I, I'm just theorizing here no, off the top of my head. 
Um, I didn't know I was going to have to produce uh, an in-depth existential yeah. analysis of, of why <laughs> Hamiltonians are funny. No, I, Well, I, all you have to do is just walk around downtown Hamilton anytime over the last 40 years in Jackson Square, and there's... There's material. And I don't mean that. And you know what? Walk amongst rich people, and that's some of the the greatest comedy. I mean, there, there's well, absurdity. Well, just walking among people. There's absurdity right through the, the whole the whole uh, spectrum and um when you have a spectrum where there's a lot of contrast i think you, it lends itself to humor that's yeah, a no. very abstract way of putting it maybe we just have better joke books here i don't know <laughs> well it could be i mean we we the, it's just it's it's amazing to me that and we we said this on the show last night for people who were listening i don't mean to be repetitive but it's not like we're talking about people who are you know locally funny these are international stars, oh, Jim sure. Carrey and Eugene yeah. Levy and Martin Short. Billy Van, probably I would say more locally or Canadian yes. funny. No, he doesn't have the same, I don't think, reputation down in the States that he does here, but... But do you know, and this again is probably before, very close to the beginning of your time, Billy Van, along with Ted Ziegler, another Canadian, they were the two comic uh, furniture people on the Sunny and Cher show back in the, I think that would have been the early 70s. Really? And you'd see Billy Van, yeah. And then I think he came back to Canada. But um, I would be watching the Sunny and Cher show, and ah, that's Billy Van. And that's Ted Ziegler, who if you grew up in Montreal in the 60s, you'd remember as Johnny Jellybean, like the kids' show was like the Montreal version of Uncle Bobby. Um, but um, yeah, C- Canadians really... Uh, have this comic tradition. I mean, even Stephen Leacock, if you want to yeah. get a little more. Uh, well, Gary Lawton, if you're talking writer, Gary from Hamil- but Hamilton, yeah. guy. Hamilton, Hamilton guy. Hamilton, Hamilton. Yeah, great yeah, columnist, yeah, very funny yeah. columnist. And, yeah. uh, and again, I'm, and we're just touching off the top of some of the people. These are just the ones who were going in, the ones we mentioned before. Now, is this Hamilton. a new Hall of Fame? Or? No, but it's having its, uh, its induction uh, the, he, the, okay. here in Hamilton this year. Oh, and I. When is that? I'd love in to. February. Okay. And I'm guessing, and I don't know if this is actually correct, but I'm guessing that they've probably picked a bunch of Hamilton people while they're doing it in Hamilton because that makes sense. You've got a lot of hometown people. I mean, it'll be, I'm hoping that some of these guys come back and are here for the induction and don't do it by video or something because it's, you know, we were at, or I was at, um, when Martin Short's book came out. Yes. Uh, five years ago, maybe yeah. something like that. Been around then. Give or take. I mean, I lose track now. It could be 30 years ago. <laughs> but when his book came out like five years ago, he showed up at the Ancaster Costco oh, to sign the books. And he was no just way. in the Ancaster Costco mm-hmm. right at the end of Martin one of the Short. things, yeah. Martin Short. And there was a lineup that was like, it was like, it was like pumpkin pie day at Thanksgiving, the lineup that yeah. you had to get at Costco to get the book signed and the amazing part Was to that me, for Martin Short, the lineup or yeah. for the toilet paper that was- Yeah, no, that was for Martin Short. And the amazing thing to me is he, I, I stood there and I was actually going to try and get him, talk to him for two minutes to see if he'd come on this show. Yeah. There was just no way to break into the line. I wasn't going to do that. The line was f- literally, it was yeah. 400 oh, people long, bad, yeah. but he was- engaged and great with every single person. And wow. there was a, there, it wasn't just sign the book and pass on. There was a joke them. or there was a line or there was yeah, a something. And you're like, yeah. the, I don't know. I, I, there was, there's something about not just the fact that he was really funny, but that yeah. you talk about the engaging with people. And 
I thought that day, actually, I thought, you know, I wonder when they do this, when a comedian does this, if they go home after and there was something from one of those people that shows up in a character somewhere down the road. I wouldn't because be they're, they're they always use so everything. perceptive. What do they say? Everything's material. Everything's material. Yeah. You could have fit Martin Short in one of those giant Costco shopping carts. You could have. I mean, those things are you dangerous. But somebody from here might have been part of another character down the road or part of a joke sure. or something because of something they said or didn't. I mean, heaven knows. We, we certainly have people who would- Have you ever op- been to Costco? <laughs> I'm there very often. I'm, I'm probably the one they're making the joke about, quite honestly. You should be tested to drive those shopping carts when you're 40. Those things are a menace, but I love Costco, so I'm not going to knock Costco. No, and I believe that every but, shopping cart that I've ever taken from Costco has the wheel that goes and won't go straight. I'm always the one who gets the wheel, the broken wheel. the wheel. Uh, that's fascinating though, about uh, Martin Short and about the comics. It is, it is, it's a great thing though. It's a great, if we're going to have yeah. something that Hamilton is known for Comedies. and beyond steel, yes. uh, then, you know, if great comedians can be that thing, that's way better than serial killers or. Better than Randall Reeve. Randall Reeve, yeah, or pollution. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's, let's have more comedian memories. Jeff, we had, or yesterday, I think on the show or the day before, I think it was yesterday, I don't know, earlier this week, uh, Paul Bennett, who's a educational expert. And he was talking about a bunch of things, but one of them was, um, related to a piece that he's now written. It's in the Globe and Mail. We should ban cell phones from classrooms. The research backs that up. And I've never understood the argument that says cell phones are needed by kids in class. Because to me, it's just such a natural distraction that it would be, for me, if I was back in high school and I had a cell phone with me, I would never hear a word the teacher said. Now that's me. Yeah, I don't. um... But is there any, can you think of any downside to banning cell phones in class and just saying, look, hand your cell phone and we'll have a, a little basket to put them in when you come into class and you can pick it up on your way out. Is there any downside to this? Well, no. The only downside I could think of is if somebody were trying to contact a student about some truly dire emergency. But by that logic, you'd need your cell phone with you every second of the day. And, and that's not good. We are enslaved to cell phones. It's There's something about the technology... And the way it's used in, in uh, a wider sense by everybody that um, induces great stress. I never owned a cell phone, Scott. I, I think it was kind of a running joke in the newsroom until 2018 or late 2018. And in that time, within two years, it was it was the tail that wagged the dog. I was mm-hmm. just I was stressed constantly about losing my cell phone. Yep. And, of course, you know, the kind of reporting that I do, like underground, terrorism, (laughs) counterterrorism, there could be messages on my phone if I lost it that could compromise national security. I'm kidding. But, you know... Um, you're missing, but suddenly you, your if whole you lose yourself, gone, your, your right. whole life is on the cell phone, yeah. pictures and so on. And it, I, I, I never have liked or really gotten used to the feeling of anxiety that cell phones give me, but there have been times where I cannot deny they've been so useful, but to have them in classrooms but what where you they're just dinging. Said, what you just said is exactly to me the reason why you don't have them in classroom for that exactly, reason that you no. must have it beside you all the time. It's going to well, take your attention at all times. Why are they allowed in classrooms? I that's didn't even great, know they were. I kind of assumed question. they weren't. 
allowed in classrooms. Well, so so are. for your for your point of well, you know what? What if you have to reach someone? We can't. Well, my kid has to have his or her cell phone with them. When we were kids, in between classes, you called the school if there yes. was an emergency. I'm coming to you know in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, they called yes. the school to say that they bring her outside. That we're but uh, like it, it's not. Well, we managed to survive. Yes, the hundreds of years of schooling or the hundred years of schooling before we had cell phones and kids had no way of being contacted except through the office. And there's no reason that that can't still obtain. Except we've somehow, every time someone comes up with a thing, there's always a reason why it has to. We, I was talking with Scott Thompson on the show beforehand about this very thing. And one of the comments that I've heard, and I find this unbelievable that someone would use this, but well, what if there was an emergency at the school? What if there was an active shooter? How would the, how would 911 get called? And it's like, well, I'm sure the teacher's allowed to have their cell phone. Somebody or, or, or. Just appoint one person in every classroom to hold the cell phone. And or if there is an active shooter yeah. in the school, the basket of cell phones, okay, everyone grab your cell phone. It's okay. Like yes. under those circumstances. <laughs> just an absolutely ridiculous I argument. Know, but of a, but it that. seems so ludicrous yeah, to say because yeah. the trade-off is for every day yeah. that your school has not had an active shooter, which is hopefully every day. Yeah. If the argument is, well, we have to have our phone just in case of such a dire emergency. Yeah. But every day that you have it, you're being distracted, so you can't do as well in school and learn. That mm-hmm. seems like a bad trade-off. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And yet, th- for whatever reason, I, I don't know what the reason is why this has not happened already by now. Because it does seem so logical. Kids' brains are not. Kids' brains are scattered. I I know this because when I was in high school, as I say, I was distracted by everything. Uh-huh. everything. And if you had now thrown a smartphone in my hand so I could text my friends or I could play Candy Crush or I could watch a YouTube video or I could search something online or I could whatever, I would have never got anything done no, ever. I agree. They're, they're total distractions. And um, you can imagine uh, the liability of having children uh, or you know teenagers at school with their cell phones, if they just happened during the course of a class to phone their parents to say, you know, I just phoning to say I love you, the parents would automatically assume that the school was that they were about to be shot in a, in a school. Yeah, who does that? So, you know, it's it's just a bad recipe. So it, The whole thing, I, I just, I can't understand. I can't understand how, now there, it has been banned in some places and th- this column in Paul Bennett's uh, piece for the, for the Globe Mail, this comes from a study, a triennial study. I think that's the word triennial. Anyway, every three years. Yeah. Uh, by a group PISA. And I can't remember what, the, what that stands for, but it's an educational study from around the world. And this is the kids. I think it was a third or two thirds, but a huge number of kids are saying the phones are a problem. This is not the we teachers. We don't want this. Yeah. This is the kids saying, I can't study. Yeah. I can't get my work done yeah. when I have my phone. No, I can't imagine why... A student would, I mean, I have my cell phone beside me. It's, it's, it's off, but I mean, I could have left it out somewhere. You're in certain social situations where you don't want your cell phone. You don't, you don't want it to go off. You, you, you know, you're not going to be using it. For one thing it's rude and it's also a deterrent to education. I mean, my only, my only thought for why you don't ban cell phones from the class, and this is a weak explanation or a weak thought is what you and I are just saying where 
if you don't have your cell phone with you, there's almost an anxiety. There's almost this yes, you panic your of your, of yeah. that. Okay. So do we believe that if we told everybody in the class that your cell phone is not with you, that they would all be in a state of anxiety and agitation so that they couldn't pay attention? Maybe, maybe. But then that's an even deeper problem. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. That is. But, but would you not get over that? Is that not just a retraining thing that, so a week or two later, you'll get over, you come to class and your cell phone goes away. So be it. I'd be curious as to what the research is showing as to why it's not a good thing to have in the classroom. I guess simply because of the distraction or or were they specific about, and why are they just coming out with this now? Well, they, I mean, they know this three years ago. Yeah, but often schools, Jeff will say, well, you know, we use the, they use the phone to look stuff up in class. Well, you can look at, okay, so why not then say- You should have oh, laptops, in them, but then that's a whole, laptops are just as bad, I think. But at least with a laptop, things. if the laptop is closed, like yeah, the teacher could say, yes, close your true. laptops. Yeah, you yeah, know you know yeah. that it's not yeah. being used then, yeah, exactly. as opposed to a phone that's in someone's lap. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm sure that you, like me, I'm sure that you pass notes in class once in a while when you're, well now- I might've. It's way easier. Now you just have to text someone. Yeah. And there's no notes and it's just, it's, it's just a constant thing. I, I would, I don't know that they'd be allowed. I don't know who makes the call. I'm assuming it's the province, the ministry of education, but I, I, I'd be loving it if the Hamilton district school board was to say as a pilot project for a year, we're going to ban cell phones and see what happens to kids' grades. Yeah, that would be interesting. For a year. Or it's yeah. not a, it's a pilot project. Let's do a test and let's yeah. find out what happens if nobody can have their, their phone with them in class. Yeah. I and think the students would go along with it. I don't know. Yeah. I think, oh, I think there would be immense blowback. There, I think the, be, the yeah. kids would freak out, Possibly, but yeah. who cares? But if I, honestly, there was blowback, you could ask them why. What do you need the cell phone for? What, what would they say? Like, well, but if the kids freak out, Again, who cares? Like, wh- since when did we exactly. decide yeah, that we have to- the show, yeah. Right, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and that's, when I was a kid, and again, when I was a kid, when you were a kid, when everyone was listening was a kid, there have been things that you got away with and there were mm-hmm. things when your parents or adults said no. Yeah. And sometimes you got what you wanted and sometimes they said no. And that's been the way it's been for the dawn of time. Why can we not do that now? Well- um, don't ask and, me. No, no, but, <laughs> but I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, it's not about being abusive. It's not about being mean. It's about, we're doing this to help you yeah. because clearly I mean, this is a problem. we did pass notes back and forth in school, but if we got caught, yet there'd be, there'd be consequences. Well, the consequence was yeah. that the teacher would sometimes read them out loud to the whole class. Well, and that yeah. was the consequence almost worse than death. I remember when Sophia in the desk beside me passed me a note and said, you're cute, but it was meant for the guy <laughs> on the other side. It was crushing, <laughs> but that was the story of my youth. Oh, it's okay. You are cute. Oh, thank Just you, don't Scott. let anyone say I said yet. <laughs> you're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the th- reasons that we wanted to have Jeff in is A, because, you know, Jeff does a great job, but B, I don't know how many years, and Jeff will tell me in a second here, he's been at the spec, but um, the uh, the run is grinding to a halt. Descend of December, you are taking your retirement and... Uh, I am. Th- which is, how many years have you been there? Well, it's, uh, I'm in my 36th year, so it would have been 36 years next July. 
when I, run, I yeah, when I started at the Spectator, Jeff was you were actually working at the Burlington Spectator yes. back when there was an office there, and I've and Jeff knows this story because I tell it to him all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, Jeff was and is one of the greatest turners of phrase when you want to have a <laughs> someone who write a great line. And there was a line that Jeff wrote that I, like stuck with me because it was so perfect. He was writing about a concert or a mu- music review. I can't remember what it was, it was and it was for a thrash metal, heavy thrash, metal band, thrash, thrash metal. and it was music to rev your chainsaw too and I thought that was just like <laughs> such a perfect description of whatever it was I don't know that band is probably listening right now uh, I, I hope, remember that well but maybe I hope they took it a compliment it was meant to be well was, I mean was this something you was this what you always wanted to do did you always um, want it to be a newspaper writer no I think I took a course in my first year of CJEP in Montreal, which is sort of pre-university, and it was called the comic novel, and it just turned me on to the possibilities of writing and colorful writing, humorous writing, but without being humorous, without being necessarily necessarily frivolous, but you know, writing that that was entertaining, but also could get at something. And I finished my degree in English literature. Oh. I have that gene for impractical energies, you know, <laughs> English literature degree. Well, I beat a path to your door. I'm not going to be making $500 million like um, no? Otani. I don't think so. No. Oh, well, well. Not unless I do a J.K. Rowling. She's probably even richer than that. But anyway, I just got to the end of it, and I thought, I just want to do something where I can write. And, and journalism always did appeal to me. I, I always read the newspaper. And so I applied at Carlton and got in, and the rest is history. It it has uh, in more recent years it has been obviously a difficult uh, yeah, market. Sure it's been, it's yeah. you know things are tough in the newspaper business. There's no getting around that. But it, it, did you ever regret doing it? No, never, 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 never. Uh, even as friends outstripped me in terms of their income, you know, but they were doing things that I wouldn't have wanted to do. But I've I've loved uh, well. Not literally every second there were things that I didn't always want to do or there were stories that I didn't write as well as I would have liked to have. But um, I can't imagine a more rewarding and rich and colorful career, meeting people, colleagues, also subjects of stories, just being part of the the cut and thrust of a, a not just a community, but of a large city, you know, a relatively large city like Hamilton. I started in Cochrane, Ontario, mm. a community of 5,000 people, and that taught me everything about the power of writing and information because it was the only source of news for the people in that town, and it meant the world to them. And uh, that was a remarkably... Um, broadening experience and an informative experience but no no regrets but I, I'll just say so I, it's not something I thought about as a child I don't know many children who want to be journalists when they grow up but even writing but I think the first time I really felt the power of writing was in like composition class in English in high school and this guy I knew and I never thought he was he never would have pegged him for a great writer he wrote this thing about the French Revolution and he had it down to the rain on the streets and the the, the, the carriage is rolling through and it was just, I, I thought, wow, I, I wonder how he did that. I'd how, like to be able to do this? that. It's probably grade 11 and probably grade 11 or 12. It was, you know, or, okay. you know. I was going to say, mid, earlier mid, than that, mid, mom or dad wrote it. Mid to late teens. <laughs> yeah, well, I still wonder <laughs> if, if, if that wasn't the case. Anyway, that's it. But I've always, there are journalists who go into it to report. 
and a journalist who go into it to write and 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 those who do both i was definitely more on the writing side but it's it also fun to break a story but you've also i mean one of the things that one of the great things that you've been able to do is you're you've been able to talk to some unusual people and do some unusual <laughs> things over the years do you, do you look back and you go man there there was one or two that just this was now you're going to ask bonkers. me. I know. I can't I, think of any, I, but I, I there have been you some. Uh, there have been some wild stories and um, and just un- unusual circumstances that you can have fun with. I, I do you, you ever know, get do you ever get a story spiked because like so people don't know spiked means they just they're not going to run it. You've written it and you're not going to run it for any reason. Don't for for think, any of your writing that went over the top? I don't, no, I don't think that's ever happened, but um, I've been a, a sent stories back and told they're way too long. Well, there's that. That's overwritten. Yeah, we all and, get that uh, at times. Yeah. I had, I had a story back when I was a summer student at The Spectator. Uh, I was sent out by the city editor to do a story about a woman who was in her mid-70s mm-hmm. who had lost her artificial eye. <laughs> and... And now she was very upset because she was trying to get married oh my gosh. and thought this was going to make her unattractive. <laughs> and so she wouldn't be able to find a husband. So I went oh. and sat with her in this very <laughs> smoky apartment in East Hamilton. And she told me the sad story, how she was shopping at the Amity and her eyeball fell out and rolled <laughs> under the display counter. And oh, now she was stuck man. and they had tried to help her find it. They couldn't retrieve it. And I was driving home and I remember pulling off to the side of the road to write down the lead. Did you think of the lead? What was and it? And they wouldn't run the story. I got back and when I wrote Why? it. Why? Well, when I wrote okay. it and I submitted the story and I won't use her real name, no, but focus. it was Janice Smith had an eye for men, but she misplaced it. <laughs> and they said. <laughs> What's no. wrong with that? They said that was offensive. Oh, that's. But, but you know what they did? So I had to change scared. it, but you know what they did run? What? I called the Amity to make sure the story was true because you don't want to be writing something that she has just made up. And I said, is this true? And the manager said, yep, it's true. And I said, so what are you doing about it? He goes, well, we're keeping an eye out. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping an eye. That they were fine with. That they were fine with. Well, um, did she ever tell you how she lost the eye in the first place? I think she, I I can't remember exactly, but I, like, I didn't think, I don't know how we got onto this one, but I, I don't think that like glass eye is just pop out easily. I think she must've sneezed or scratched her eye or something and like, just, <laughs> I don't know. How, how I mean, yeah, how does got... a glass eye pop out? Maybe it happens all the time. I don't know. It's just landed like... on the floor, but, yeah. and do you put that back in? I, I, we're on a way bad topic here. If you find it on the floor, what do you do? Just pop it right back well, in or do you? You, you know, you're. Bible, isn't it? The, the An eye for a, a, an eye? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed person is king or queen. It, in this yeah, case, is that the from the Bible? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure about the theology uh, of that one. But we'll, we'll get corrected if... Uh, but no, it's, you know what, um, it's, it's it's one of the things that, that I've always been, uh, one of the things that I've always loved about working at the spec, but also in the business, is people like you and Steve Milton, who, when I said off the top, can turn a phrase. Like, it's a hard... You probably don't see it that way because you're good at it and it comes somewhat naturally, but it's a hard thing to write something that is clever and, you know, did you ever watch the movie Spinal Tap? Yes. And so people who remember Spinal Tap, there's a line in there where they, they're being interviewed and one of them says, it's a fine line between clever and stupid. (laughs) And turning a phrase, turning a great phrase, it's a fine line, but you can always tell when someone's tried too hard. Yes. It's a fine line between being really 
brilliant and going way past the line of something into being just, that's, oh, it's almost uncomfortable. It's so maudlin oh, or wow. so stupid. And it, and it is, it could be a matter of not so much where you put a comma, but the, the sequencing, like how you how you structure the sentence so you don't give away the punchline in the first clause you, and you reorder the words and do this and do that. And, Does there, yeah. Is writing, when you read something, when you're writing it of yourself, is writing almost musical to you? Can you oh, hear the beat I, that it's supposed to go I, by? I try to and sometimes I go back and read something that I wrote five years ago and there's no music to it, but I'm sure that I thought there was when I wrote it, but, um, but I try. I, I because try I hear that to, a lot from people. I hear yeah. that a lot from writers who say, yeah, there's a, there's a, you can hear the you rhythm that it's supposed to be. And if there's a word missing, you need to add, or if yes. there's a. Where, when there, when there are too many adjectives or yeah. maybe not enough and, and, um, whether you have a, um sort of what they call a relative clause before you get into the, the sort of the core idea. Of this. Well, I mean, that's getting almost technical, but it's, 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 it's but more natural, of an intuitive thing. Yeah. It's, it's an intuitive thing. And you, and, but you know, it is, it is hard insofar as it's very frustrating when it's not reading right to you and you know, there's a better sentence and you got to work at it to find it. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what separates people like you from a lot of other people that you do keep working at it to try and find that thing rather no, than I settling for that it. sentence. It's like, yeah. I know that it's not, I know it's not sitting right. I know there's a word missing and there's a beat missing in that yes. sentence. Yes. And so I gotta, I gotta find that. And, and anyway, yeah, no, it's, well, uh, that's, that's what writing is. It can be, uh, it can, it can be worse than, um, losing your, <laughs> your uh, glass eye. I mean, it can be it can be very discombobulating, and uh, it can you can break up romances. I mean, you know, or create them, or so, create, or yeah. yeah, who knows? Who knows how many romances have been created oh, by reading knows. Jeff's writing at home <laughs> well, in bed? People were reading it to their but their Scott, friends. The, and, um, the career that's been afforded me has been one that uh, I. I couldn't have dreamt of as a young man. I didn't know how good it would be. Mm. How, and y you're not always aware of it right in the moment. Often you are, but certainly when you get to a certain point, you think back and, wow, uh, I am lucky this, mm. this has happened for me. I'm not so sure about my readers, but, uh, and I use the word readers, I use the plural in a spirit of optimism. <laughs> I'm not sure how many... I'm not sure there are any left. Oh, that's uh, not true at all. There are a, many. It's been a strange time. But also we've been in this career, Scott, you and I and, and others at The Spectator through one of the most extreme roller coaster rides. I mean, it's just been what what newspapers have been through, especially in the last few years is, is something. Well, people out there listening should uh, look up as many Jeff Mahoney pieces as they can before Please December thirty first. So um, uh, now yeah, see, we're yeah, out of time. Too much, yeah, too much too time much. to figure that out. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Mahoney, thanks for thank coming you, in Scott. Doing this today. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.